Welcome to Eyes Up, a podcast that champions representation, where we see you and give you insight on what the future of your career can look like. I'm your host, Dr. Damaris Raimondi, and we have a guest today. She hails from Tucson, Arizona. She completed her bachelor's in the University of Arizona, and she went to the Southern California College of Optometry class of 2012, did a residency in ocular disease and low vision, and you've seen her on Instagram as part of the dynamic duo at Dr. Eye Beauty. Everyone, give it up for Dr. Jessica Duran. Yay! Welcome to the show. Hola, thank you for having me. So I'm excited to have you on today because I'm hoping that for our listeners, we can provide them insight. And I'm hoping that the two of us can double as your very own podcast optometry big sisters. And we are also going to tackle the thought that often creeps into our mind, something that you mentioned, how did we do it? So let's go back to the very beginning, Dr. Duran. The two of us identify as Latina, and uh, for listeners that don't know, both of my parents are Peruvian. And let's learn a little bit about you. Where does your family draw their background from? So um, both of my parents are from Mexico, um, specifically Chihuahua, which is a um, northern state in Mexico. And so, yeah, they're both uh, born there, and they both came to the U.S. when they were My mom was like a young, you know, 12, 13. My dad was probably closer to 18. And so I was born here, so I was first generation. But yeah, so I mean, we still have most of my dad's family still back in Mexico. All of my mom's family has now, you know, come to the U.S. We've spoken about, you know, being first gen. And Mm -hmm. we had a we related on a lot of our backstories because like for me you know thinking back in the ninth grade that is an absolutely formative grade and I didn't think about college I don't know where the thought really came from I think that I must have had community college aspirations I think I wanted to be an engineer but it was like a it was not a real thought. And only until I met my boyfriend in the 11th grade, he's now my husband, only then did I really like say like, oh, my God, I got to take my SATs. I, I have to go to college. Mm-hmm. So how did you know? Like, what was that like for you learning about college and all that? I went to a school that was like an hour bus ride away. So I went to this like really wealthy high school where you're, you know you're kind of like it was just different right like it was very few brown and black kids at the school and so um, you know everyone said you know everyone's aspirations were college there and so I kind of went in like not really knowing and I think our college counselor was really pushing like you have to apply to college and so I applied to the local college and I got in so I was like well looks like I'm going to college but you know I really didn't have that mindset where you know I see college or kids in high school today where they're applying for like five different schools and they're researching schools and like where they want to go I definitely was not the case um, my case you know and so my college counselor was like all right we're applying you have to apply and I got in so I was like all right guess I'm going to (laughs) guess I'm going to college that's exactly what's needed just somebody who sees you and guides you a little bit and like even if you don't know like it creates a pathway to everything and then Mm -hmm. what was like the college experience like yeah you know uh, you think of 
Tucson or Arizona and you would think there'd be a lot of, you know, black and brown or at least, you know, brown this is what I thought. Yeah. At the U of A. And, you know, there's I think it was close to like 10 percent, maybe a little bit less like Latino when I was there. The graduation rate was low. I think it was like 3%. So 10% of us are going in, but 3% are actually making it out. So thankfully, you know, um, I was part of University of Arizona has this program called um, New Start. So it was before you start college. And it's a lot, you know, a lot of kids that are minorities and they kind of guide you through, you know, starting college. But through that program, I came across a club called Mecha. And I was able to join that And Mecha had kind of there's like this building on campus called the Cesar Chavez building. And it was kind of like where, you know, Mecha would go and meet. But it was a, a resource center essentially for um, Latino students or Lat- Latina students to go. And so, you know, I kind of immersed myself in that experience while I was at the U of A. And I think, you know, I feel like that's the reason why I graduated. You know, I was surrounded by people that looked like me. I was surrounded by people that had similar stories. So it didn't feel like I was, you know, such a small percentage in this huge university. You know, there's a term for this that I just learned within this past year. This past year, that's that's been all learning. And mm-hmm. the, the type of school, it would be a PWI. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. PWI, predominantly white institute, predominantly oh. white institution. So yeah. that would be the uh, initials or acronym for it. That's yeah. something I learned. And then URM, I thought a lot of people do that, but that means underrepresented minority. And that yeah, I've heard explains, that yeah, mm-hmm. that's Black and Latinx students who, yeah. like you said, they, they fail out, right? Is that what you saw like with with some of your friends? Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of the people that I was, you know, even in, in at the, you know, U of A or in Mecha with that didn't graduate or, you know, that fell behind, you know, they ended up dropping down to community college and then community college ended up getting jobs. And, you know, it's not, you don't, you don't have to go to college to be successful, but, you know, our dropout rates are so high. <laughs> you know, I think, having that resource and really like holding on tight to it, you know, was one of the main factors that, you know, got me through um, graduating at the U of A for sure. Yeah, you need to uh, be surrounded by others who who are like you and then exploring your identity too. I love that you mentioned Mecha. I have never heard of it. So I looked it up and I got into history. For everyone listening, (laughs) it's mechanationals.org. So M-E-C-H-A. And Mm -hmm. the acronym means Movimiento Estudiantil. So Mm -hmm. if you're interested in learning about that, I, I went all the way back to the zoot suit riots that I've only briefly heard of I don't know much about what do you know about it maybe you can teach me you know what I honestly have probably not a whole lot on it but I know you know it's based out of you know Southern California and so yeah look it up do a lot of research it's a great club especially you know what and I forgot that they had a lot of chapters in high school too so it's something that you can join in high school and their biggest thing is pushing like higher education they stand for a lot of great things and so yeah if you have a chapter in high school or college, I recommend being part of that for sure. Yeah, it's all about exploring like where you come from to know where you're yeah. going. So how did you first learn about optometry among all this? I was actually born with congenital ptosis. And so um, they told my parents that I was going to be blind in my right eye when I was little. And so the language barrier mm-hmm. being an issue, um, they're 
really freaked out. If you look at all my baby pictures, my eye looks like it's almost shut. And so I don't think they meant blind. I think they are probably meaning that I was going to have amblyopia just because there's, mm-hmm. you know, the eyelid was covering the majority of the pupil. Ended up having surgery when I was five. And so I was just in and out of doctor's offices ever since I can remember. And so when I got in college, in high school, I was like, you know what, this is something I could probably do. Um, but I actually was working at an ophthalmology office while I was in um, high school and in college throughout college. And so she was just like, you could do this. And I was like, you know what, I probably can. <laughs> I took a year off, I worked in banking. And then I decided that I was like, you know what, I hate this. So I went back and I got in, I applied to optometry school. And I'm here now. Oh, wow. Yes. You just like had all that experience with it. It's amazing Mm -hmm. how many uh, optometrists and eye doctors too, like you hear about them having a similar experience in childhood. And we had somebody else on the podcast too, Dr. Hashmi. She Mm -hmm. uh, had like a a injury and an almost angle recession as a four-year-old. Yeah. So yeah, like all these things, you're in and out and you, you've been, your eyes have been dilated many times. Oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> For me, the first time I was dilated was in optometry school, and I always wore glasses. Oh, really? And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how many how many optometrists don't dilate. Like, I work with an ophthalmologist now, and we dilate like everybody. But I've been to I get people all the time. They're like, I've never been dilated. I'm like, you're like thirty something. <laughs> In a minus six, what do you mean you've never been dilated? I know, and I would remember yeah. that. I'm like, this was very jarring to get yeah. your eyes dilated. Like, you don't forget. <laughs> so if you don't dilate your patients and you're listening, dilate your patients. <laughs> oh, yeah, dilate them. There's so much to see, so much yeah. over minusing too. Oh my gosh, yes, for sure. Speaking on your optometry school experience, were there was there anything that made you feel out of touch? Like given, you know, being first gen and all that. Looking back, I'm like, you know what? There's like only a few of us, but when I'm living it, I feel I feel comfortable or I feel okay. There's definitely times where I was just like, no one looks like me here. You know, there's very few people that look like me or very few people that come from the background that I come from. Or, you know, a lot of classmates' parents were doctors and they have that to fall back on or, you know, they have someone that they can ask like, you know, cousins or brothers or sisters or parents that are can say, oh, you know, what was your experience going through grad school or how did you study? And it was just kind of looking back, you kind of have to figure it out on your own. With like background too, I could definitely resonate with that, especially being mm-hmm. low income. It was, it got to a point where my student loan money was running out and I'm like, I got to get to work because this is like so much, so, uh, so much yeah. going on. And then one thing that, 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 the way that that impacted me was that I Mm -hmm. didn't go to a lot of I didn't go to any AOA optometry meeting because I it was always so far away and then I didn't um I think I only went my fourth year like to Mm -hmm. to any of these like opportunities but yeah like I felt like I couldn't do it like it didn't make sense like monetarily and all these things yeah yeah but then looking back now I'm like oh like that was the time to do it but you know you don't know because you don't have someone telling you that Girl, I was applying for like all the, you know, we're paying for one student to go. I was like, I'm applying. For, for oh, that. good. And, 
anytime there's yeah if you learn anytime there's anything where like you know there's a grant for this or there's a scholarship for this or this club is paying for one person to go Mm -hmm. I was like that's what you just reminded (laughs) me that's why I went to places fourth year that's what there was more stuff for that year I think like there was the Alcon trip so for me that was one of the one of the reasons why I didn't pursue a residency is because I was running out of money. But how did you go about deciding that? How did you like uh, what went into the decision making for that? Because it's really different for everybody. It is, you know, and I um, I applied. I, you know, I, I feel like I always do things just to like, hey, let's just try and see if it happens for me. And so I applied and I was actually looking to do traumatic brain like residency and traumatic brain injury. Ooh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and vision, but a lot of them are joint with vision therapy and I do not like working with children. I have two kids, but I <laughs> hate seeing kids oh, in no exams. Way. And I know, <laughs> I know you do kids, but it's like, oh, uh, anytime I see a five-year-old on my schedule, I was like, who scheduled it? Who hates me? <laughs> but I actually ended up not getting into a residency, um, when the matching process happened after I had done interviews. And so I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. Uh, one of the teachers at school was like, hey, there's still a couple of spots open if you're interested in doing it. And there's one actually in Tucson where I'm from. And so she was like, I know you're interested in traumatic brain injury, but this one's low vision. And I had done a, um, a trip to to Africa to work with um, people with albinism that had low vision. And so I, I like mm-hmm. low vision also. And so I was like, you know what? There are, I didn't, I interviewed for it and they offered it to me. And so I was like, let's do it yeah and in something that you had an interest in too yeah awesome yeah after residency I mean that's when like your first real job happens Uh what did you like learn from those early days um you know (laughs) optometry and you always hear it there's like such a wide scope of practice like what do you want to do do you want to be a lens crafter doctor do you want to work private practice do you want to own your Mm -hmm. own office and so I think I just took jobs because I needed to get back to California to be with my husband and I was working at private practice optometry and I worked with ophthalmology and so I think the big lessons are that you know it's hard, you know, being uh, a first year out of school and trying to figure out what you're trying to do. Contracts are tricky, you know, and again, not having someone to like, hey, what is, is this what the contract's supposed to look like? Am I supposed to be an independent contractor? You know, are they allowed to put non-competes? These things were all things that like even a, a year ago, um, I had to still deal with these issues. And I think they don't teach us this in optometry school. You know, I think it needs to be better taught, but Thankfully, I had two good jobs. You know, I worked at two different offices um, mm-hmm. the first couple of years. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it, especially in California. I'm, I, I think New York's really saturated too, right? You always hear mm-hmm. that word. Oh, it's a saturated market. Yeah, yeah it's hard finding a full time job as an OD. You know, a few years. It's no one, fresh. no one says that. Yeah, no one ever said yeah. that. We're saying it here today, everybody. Yes. It is hard to it find is. a full-time job it, it, it <laughs> takes time if and yeah. it's hard to find a job with benefits yes yeah you know it took me I think um I'll have like younger students and stuff message me on Instagram right mm-hmm. and then I'll be like you know well if you want to like see it like technically speaking I got my hospital position five years after I graduated like yeah. that's how it worked out yeah and then I'll get the reply five years I can't wait I'm like I mean that's I'm, yes. just, I'm being realistic this is yeah. what it was like mm-hmm. absolutely 
Yeah. And I think, you know, they don't tell you that you think like, oh, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm gonna make indeed tells me I should be making 150 K and it's like, oh, well, you're in California. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a lot of us out here, you're not gonna make that as a, you know, as a first year grad, like, yeah, maybe if you go to Oklahoma, you're gonna get that. But in California, like you're gonna be working two, three jobs trying to piece together like a full time schedule. And so yeah, contract negotiation, you know, are you really an independent contractor? Like I struggled with that a lot, like my first couple of years out, because, you know, you get paid as an independent contractor, mm-hmm. but you don't have the 1099, benefits, the 1099, yeah. the taxes, mm-hmm. like all these other things that come with it that it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> so and it, it's hard to see that, too, because like, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know if this was your experience, but with my dad, right? Like he mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot to say sometimes, but in certain things, it's like there are like commandments, so to speak. Yeah. And he would tell me like, you got to tienes que cuidar tu trabajo, right? Yeah. Like, are you going on vacation? And yeah. I'm like, uh, like he, he kind of fostered that, I guess that thought of like, like yes sir sort of a sort of way the word is escaping me but this like like um that video that we spoke about that youtube video that i made where i was just like i've always been this way though with even with the small jobs that i would piece together in the beginning yes so loyal and i'm gonna be like okay like i will make this this office better than what it was when i got here i'm gonna work Mm because that's all i know Mm -hmm. right but but part of that it also comes with like, okay, if, if you appreciate that place, you have to know your worth and know when to step away and when the other person is not not appreciating it back and not seeing what you're doing for them. But so that was my experience. But what was it like for you? So you had something like with a contract that happened pre-pandemic? Yeah. So, you know, it's just. Um, I, I think what you're saying, like, we're brought up to think like, you're a hard worker, you go to work, you work hard, you respect the job, like you, you put your that. head down, you put mm-hmm. your head down, and you just hustle, right. And so yeah, like you, you, you do that. But you know, you don't take vacation days, because you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they make you feel bad, like, oh, who's gonna see your patients. And so it's, you, you know, you, you're loyal to like a fault, right, where it's just like, it, it becomes unhealthy for, for you. And you have to learn how to walk away. You know, I was, um, I'm working at a job um, where I'm currently at in Downey um, with an ophthalmologist and I love my job like he I have a lot of freedom to you know practice how I want and I do a lot of things but my commute in California you know traffic sucks so it was about an hour hour 15 so mm-hmm. I took a position closer to home that was maybe three miles away and it was great right for a 1k full-time position benefits everything vacation time like what you know what people see is that dream job Um, I literally worked a few days and the pandemic hit. (laughs) And so I got Mm -hmm. furloughed. And so thankfully, my old boss was like, yeah, come in a couple days here and there. And so that when I I was able to, you know, keep working a few days, when I went back, um, they, um, the other job had tried to, you know, have me sign a new contract. And it was completely, you know, it was very different than what I had initially signed on to, but I had only been working there for, you know, literally two days. Um, before I got furloughed and so it's just hard you know because I was reading it I'm like wait a second this doesn't feel right this doesn't feel like it's the same as what I was initially offered and so it you know we had we went back and forth I had to hire a lawyer to look over the terms and it's just something that I've never had to do before Um, and it was scary I was just like look I left Mm -hmm. a job that I love 
Um, the, you know, I love my patients. I love my job. I love my coworkers for something that I was just really sad and miserable for the office was awesome. The patients were awesome, but it was just, you know, the contract just didn't sit well with me. And, you know, I had to, I had to take a step back and I was like, look, with everything going on with this pandemic, like, I just want to be happy where I work. Like I'm at a point where I forget that, you know, screw the money, you know, I, mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. it was, I just ended up and going back to my old position. Cause it was just, it wasn't something that I felt confident signing and I didn't feel like it had my best interest in mind. It was, you know, something that was geared to protecting the practice and not protecting me or my career. So yeah, contracts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not protecting you or your license. There you go. Yeah. That, that's exactly what it is. We have to, you know, if we have a, a gut feeling that something's mm-hmm. wrong, mm-hmm. it probably is. And yeah. it, first and foremost, we've spent so many years getting that diploma, getting that license. And, you know, we want to take care of our patients. That's like the top priority. And so, yeah. sometimes, unfortunately, you know, if when practices do blossom and grow and mm-hmm. we're not at the head of that, they they lose they lose uh, their purpose and try yeah. to do do things with numbers. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's more important to be happy because, yeah, like we've seen now, money is not going to do anything really no 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 Mm -hmm. and so you know like I and and at the end of the day things ended up working out in a way where you know I'm happy where you know I'm happy where I'm at and yeah like you said Mm -hmm. money is gonna come and go it'll be there but yeah at the end of the day I want to be able to go work be happy love what I do and you know come home and still be like okay you know I can leave work there and be at peace with you know, not having mm-hmm. to worry about, <laughs> you know, random things from work or contracts and things like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, read that contract, folks, and mm-hmm. get someone read else it. to read, get multiple yeah. people to read it. And if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Um, mm-hmm. I think I want to do a video exposing some of my old contracts, actually. I've been thinking about that. What do you think? Of that? I idea? think so. Like I said, when you posted that YouTube video and I was right in the midst of going through that negotiation, I was just like, this was like, you know, the universe had put that video right in front of me because I was Mm -hmm. like, she is so right. You know what I mean? Like, why are we working for other people who aren't going to appreciate us or see our value or see our worth? You know, we break our backs and we don't take vacation days, you Mm -hmm. know, to keep them going and they don't have the common courtesy to like have the same respect or, you know, be you know, have our mm-hmm. backs. And so, yeah, when you posted that video, I was like, all right, I know what I got to do. So yeah, I think that oh would be a God. great idea. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea is a, a video yeah. kind of exposing like, you know, pitfalls of optometry contracts, like what, what do you look for? What's legal? What's not legal? Because I figured, you know, I found a lot of things that they were like, yeah, it's in there, but legally, it doesn't hold up in court. And I was just like, then why wouldn't you put it in there? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, they can, they want to see how much they can get away with, especially with a new grad. And, you know, with, with resources like this though, that'll be a thing of the past, right? For sure. So yeah, I a hundred percent support that video. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, oh, it's so much work, but I'll do it. Yeah. But that's the thing too. Once you're in a fulfilled position, you have like the time to like be creative Mm -hmm. and like try to do different things. Mm -hmm. Like you're also uh, doing 
at Dr. I Beauty. So everyone that's at D-R-E-Y-E-B-E-A-U-T-Y. What's uh, that project been about and what has inspired that? Right around the time that Lily graduated, you know, I always get patients that ask oh, me, that's like, Dr. Flores. Dr. Or, Flores. Is yes. that her last name? <laughs> yeah, Flores. <laughs> I think she changed something recently on Instagram. Yeah. It's Dr. Right, Flores. Anyway, yeah. My, uh, okay. She's my cousin. She, uh, a little bit younger than I am, but, you know, I mm-hmm. had this idea, like, co- patients are constantly asking me, like, what eye cream do you recommend? Or, you know, what mascara? Or, you know, when I, I I'm really big about talking to patients about their eyes, their, their, their makeup in their eyes, right? I feel like a lot of mm-hmm. doctors just kind of gloss over that or they're, it's not taught in schools. Again, when I see that eyeliner on that waterline, as people call it, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having that conversation with that patient, or if I'm seeing that mascara flake into the tear film, like I'm having that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I have that conversation and patients are like okay so what what do you recommend then and I'm like oh wait so what do I recommend then Mm -hmm. so I had this idea of like you know reviewing and testing things and seeing what works what doesn't work what's gentle for certain patients and so um I brought the idea to Lily and she was like yeah I'm game and so we started it um probably close to a year and a half now with the goal of like, you know, main goal of education, you know, trying things out, what works, what's healthy, what's not healthy, you know, having people comment on that. So, yeah. Yes. Healthy alternatives. Because yes. we're so, they're still going to want to wear makeup, even though, I mean, I'm different. I was just like, I'm not wearing anything anymore. But my yeah. patients are like, no, like we want to know like what to do, what to wear and all that. Yeah, there's those patients, like, you're going to tell them, like, eyelash extensions are horrible for your eyes, and they're still going to do it. So Mm -hmm. if they're going to do it, here are some, you know, here are some tips to try to keep your eyes as healthy as you can. Let's switch into her segmento en español. A ver, aprendemos uno, uh, uno sobre cosas, sobre la resequedad del ojo y los rímel mm-hmm. y todo eso. Mm-hmm. ¿Por qué es tan importante saber todo eso? Um, mucha gente no sabe cómo el maquillaje afecta a los ojos. Entonces, uh, tengo pacientes que entran todos los días que tienen res- bastante resequedad de los ojos por el rímel. Se lo están poniendo en la línea donde salen los aceites del, o- del ojo o está usando una mascarilla que se le está metiendo la- al- a las lágrimas. Entonces, um, es importante saber cuáles maquillajes, cuáles rímenes uh, you know, no le van a causar que le ten, estén tan irritados los ojos um, y es algo que platico con los pacientes todos los días porque no, no sabemos no pensamos uh-huh. que el maquillaje pensamos que la, los ojos nos están ardiendo porque están resecos o porque tengo arena en el ojo me están diciendo siento que tengo arena en el ojo pero no saben que es el maquillaje que le está causando que tengan esos síntomas entonces es lo que trato de hacer con uh, mis pacientes es si veo algo que le está causando daño o le está causando resequedad que están usando platicamos y tratamos de encontrar otra uh, otro otra marca o otro tipo de maquillaje o otro lugar donde se puede poner maquillaje que no le causa esos problemas Sí, es muy uh-huh. importante ed- educar a nuestros pacientes porque uh-huh. ahí saben de que, eh, y muchas veces se sorprenden de que, de que ellos mismos son los que están causando daño a sus ojos uh-huh. por usando y poniendo uh, el maquillaje en sitios incorrectos en el ojo o haciéndose las extensiones demasiado seguidamente, pero es todo en moderación, ¿verdad, doctora Durán? Claro que sí. Um, muchas veces les digo, you know, las extensiones no me gustan, pero las van a hacer, ¿verdad? Entonces ahí 
Hay maneras que se pueden hacer en donde le puede ayudar que no se le resecan tanto los ojos o que no le caiga infección o que se limpien porque muchas veces las infecciones uh, están tan sucias y, y ellos no pueden ver eso, pero yo sí lo veo cuando veo bajo la luz todo el slip lamp. Y, y sí, ya cuando les digo, mira, estoy mirando como le digo caspa, ¿no? Como caspa en los párparos porque las extensiones uh -huh. los están agarrando y, y no empiezan a decir, ¿cómo que ve caspa? <risa> sí, yo nunca le digo, tiene razón, yeah. yo nunca usé esa palabra, pero que yeah. así sí trae el mensaje, caspa, qué bueno. Sí, porque piensan caspa y piensan, y you no, know, sí. ellas se imaginan, lo, y pues se pueden imaginar uh, cómo se ven las pestañas, entonces sí, usa esa, esa palabra la uso mucho, no sé si es correcta, pero... No, sí, nunca le pensé, <risa> pero eso es, eso es a yeah, scarf. Yeah, That's exactly, yeah. 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 Les explico, ya entienden un poco más la importancia de, de por qué deben de limpiarse los, los ojos y las pestañas, ¿no? Ah, bueno, ahí tenemos una nueva palabra para, para mí, al menos, caspa. Sí. Eso yo conozco, sí. ahí sí el paciente empieza a tomar acción y ahí uh -huh. pueden ser las uh, cosas apropiadas. Ok. The, I guess the other thing that, that you were able to share with me too that, you know, I hope we, I'm hoping we can talk about it on the episode too is that reality, like it often hits us when we least expect it, especially with the pandemic going on. And then any other thing on top is just like so intense. For me, it's been helping my parents navigate the different resources that they need mm -hmm. and almost like being on call for them. Like it, yeah. it wasn't easy in the beginning, but Somehow, some way, I developed a fortitude from it. And like now I just do things so fast for them that I mm -hmm. didn't do before. Yeah. So it's like you find your strength through the through the struggles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You have recently like received a diagnosis. Could you tell us more about what that's been like? October of uh, last year, 2020, um, I was diagnosed with uh, stage three breast cancer. So that's why we've kind of been taking a little bit of seat back from Dr. I Beauty because I've been dealing with some health issues. But it's been crazy, man. Like, you know, the mm -hmm. pandemic hit, like I had talked about earlier, you know, kind of switched jobs right when the pandemic hit and kind of went back. Um, and then to get this diagnosis, it was um, it was crazy. But we're here. We're working through it. I'm currently going through chemotherapy. I have two more sessions to go of chemo, and then I still have uh, surgery and radiation that I have to get through. So it'll be a few more months before everything kind of settles down for us. But yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a wild ride the last couple of months for sure. And where have you drawn your strength from? What have like what kind of things have you done to like? Either get, do you get your mind into it? Do you get your mind off of it? Like, you know what? I just, uh, my, my husband's been super supportive and he's just kind of had this mentality of like, mm -hmm. look, we're here. We got two boys that we got to keep you alive and healthy for. So let's just, let's just keep going. You know, like he's just like, let's, let's go. Basically, mm -hmm. you know, that's his saying, like, let's go. Our attitude has been like, all right, let's keep it positive, you know, positive mind, keep your body, you know, I feel like your mind and your mentality have a huge thing to do with like your health. And so just being positive. One foot in front of the other. It's just, that's Absolutely. the only thing just yeah. looking forward at and not looking back. And it sounds like that's something that's driven you your entire life, basically just seeing like, okay, what's next? Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and not not dwelling on the past. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's been, it's brought in some, you know, being a patient, being on the other side of the the medical field has been crazy, you know. And so um, I'm learning a lot (laughs) as, you know, being a patient. Um, My hair has completely fallen out. Um, My eyebrows and eyelashes are gone, which has been probably the most (laughs) dramatic part of it. So I know I've been exploring a lot of different products, like what works, what doesn't work. And so we'll be sharing and posting some of those things. But yeah, you know, like my eyelashes are completely gone, you know, and it's crazy because I'm just, yeah, it's like well, what do I do? I'm like, wait, I'm an eye doctor. I should know, like, (laughs) I should know about these lashes falling out and what helps and what doesn't help. And, you know, and so I've been exploring that recently. And so, yeah, we'll be sharing some of my hair loss journey and hopefully my hair regrowth journey as that kind of all starts to kind of grow back in in the next couple of weeks. So oh wow weeks that's so good oh my gosh that's incredible we all I have we all have the best wishes for you and you know wishing for your recovery and looking forward to seeing yeah what's next exactly yeah in that light like what words of encouragement would you tell like a young recent grad trust your instinct trust your gut like you know there's that little feeling inside of you that know that everything's going to be okay. Like everything seems so scary, right? When you're just going into it, like whether that's, you know, graduating from high school and not knowing what you're going to do in college or like, wait, my parents didn't go to college. How am I going to do that? Or graduating at optometry school. And it's like, wait, am I going to find a job? Like you're going to be mm-hmm. okay. Trust that feeling in your, in your stomach that everything is going to be okay. And on, on the flip side, like if you feel like something doesn't feel right, like fight for yourself, stand up for yourself, look for resources for someone to help you because your body, the universe is telling you something. So trust, trust your gut. It, it always mm-hmm. does. It, it mm-hmm. absolutely does always work its way in like the end in the best way too, even yeah. though it might not seem like it right. at the moment. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much yeah, for coming on the show. Yeah. If anyone who's listening has any like questions for you, where can they find you? Um, you can find me at uh, Instagram at Dr. I Beauty, um, like you had mentioned earlier. Um, you can also email me at drjessdurn at gmail.com. That's my personal email. I usually tend to check that a little bit more than Instagram. But yeah, either Instagram or my email, reach out. Thank you so much again, Dr. Duran. What I want you, my listener, to take from this episode is that you, we are not alone. If you have a friend who you think needs to hear this episode, do share it with them and leave Eyes Up a rating and review. I got a new name, Eyes Up. Shout out to Roberto Lusk for the awesome work on the logo. So yes, please leave me a rating and review so that I can keep bringing you this revolutionary content. Also, take my listener survey. Whether you've listened to just one episode or all 60 of them, I want to get to know you better. And at the end of my survey, you'll have a chance to enter to win a $50 Amex gift card. Survey's open until March 13th, 2021. Thank you for listening. Head up, eyes up, together we rise up.